0: Hell yeah, this week we got a special one for you. It's been a while since we had a guest on the show. It's always an honor to speak to people in the surf world and Matt George is certainly no exception. Matt recently published his book called In Deep, which is a collection of essays and articles he's written over his career covering things like professional surfers, surf travel, surf destinations, even his personal surf journey, and so on. As the title implies, Matt has a special way of taking his stories closer to the heart and soul of his subjects than you might be used to in a typical surf article, and if I hadn't read the book first, it was obvious in our video chat, which, by the way, is available on the membership site. Aside from the book, I felt a personal connection to Matt through surfing that I don't always get from another person just because they're a surfer, and I wouldn't say that just for the sake of an impactful intro. I think you'll hear it for yourself. A worthy book for your shelf? Do a search of D'Angelo Publications and get yourself a copy of In Deep with Matt George. All right, let's get to the episode. All right, well, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for uh, coordinating with me on this. I know it wasn't easy for both of us.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, exactly 12,500 miles away. It was a beautiful day here in Bali. Um, Surf's pumping. Uh, it, It was just, it was a glorious day. We all had a great time. Oh, epic. Did you get out in the water? Yeah. Um, I, I, Bali's best kept secret, you know, small padang padang. you know, everybody waits for it to get 12 foot. Yeah, you yeah. can go out there when it's small. Like if you watch the first, if you go back and watch the film tubular swells by Jack McCoy, which basically introduced, uh, Bali, basically introduced Bali to the world with film. It was a three or four foot day and people were just mind blown about padang padang at three to four feet. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not revealing any secrets here. It's just that it's uncrowded when it's small. Everybody waits for it to look like pipeline. And so I go out mm. there when it's small and, uh, you know, make it happen. Well, actually, that
0: really resonates with me. And I know it'll resonate with my, my listeners, too, because that's a common theme that I have. You know, I'm sure you realize, but the Coopcast is all about that beginning stage of surfing. Uh-huh. And me and my partner, Evan, we really want to honor what surfing was for us, the journey for us was, which was really difficult, you know? And I'm not old by any means, but I'm old enough that I didn't come from the era of accessible everything, accessible content, accessible equipment, wetsuits. My first getup was, you know, a used board I found that I had been looking for forever that was in my budget, which was like 50 bucks. Um, a neon wetsuit that my parents got me for Christmas was a women's size eight, Fantastic, Um, but it was used and it was in the dive shop. Yeah. So I, you know, piecing it together anyway, point being that when I grew up surfing, it was just like, whatever it took. Yeah. I, if I saw onshore wind, I was more excited than offshore because I knew there'd at least be some sort of crumble, some little action out there. Sure. And so I've just, you know, now coming along and actually being a surfer that I get to travel and have equipment. I don't I haven't lost that appreciation yet. And basically my message to all my listeners always and my students is you got to get out there when it's small. When it's bad, when it's poor, because the best conditions actually are uncrowded. Yes. You know, the, the worst condition is the crowd. Yeah. And everybody has this weird oh, I love that mindset that we've all cultivated. I, I, I love that
1: take. I love that take. The the, the worst conditions are when it's perfect because it's so damn crowded. <laughs> you <know>? yeah, totally. <laughs> never heard And that.
0: That, And it is my most frustrating days in the water, uh, you know, teaching is when it's green conditions, as Surfline likes to say. Sure. And, and we've simplified you know, the nuance of surfing so much that people are just like green or blue, green or blue. And one of my favorite things I overheard this summer, I don't know if you ever saw this account online, it's overheard in New York. I want to do overheard at the beach. Um, Someone two blocks up at their summer home, I'm walking down to the beach from two or three houses away and I overhear someone on the porch, just two houses from the beach go, nah, Surfline said it won't be good today. (laughs) And I just couldn't believe my ears on my way to going to waves that I knew were actually much better than what blue, whatever that means. <laughs> well, my brother, my, anyway, my, my, long winded
1: uh, way of saying I appreciate it. My brother Sam just wrote an essay uh, on that for uh, the inertia. He wrote uh, an essay about uh, is surf line destroying the stoke? You know, now, mind you, I, worked I read for, I worked for surf for many years, you know, still consider myself a team member. I'm, you know, all right. But I tell you what, there's, there's something about just getting up in the morning and whether you're a kid on a skateboard and going a few blocks or whether you're a hundred miles from the beach and loading up and just going, there's something yep. really special about that stoke. And, um, and I understand that the East coast has, you know, uh, a little more challenging conditions than say where I am in Bali, but, um, it's that getting to the beach and just going there and showing up and putting your hands on your hips and looking at the surf, going, "All right, okay, what do we got here?" You know, uh, there's there's a real yeah, stoke yeah, yeah. there, very much a stoke there. And I also, uh, what what you said earlier resonated with me about humble beginnings. Um, I think there's a lot of kids out there, Chris, that are still with you know crappy wetsuits and their older brothers bored or their mom is a, a single mom, a bartender, and she comes home with some use board from a uh, from from a yard sale or something uh, there's a lot of that still going on the thing about the internet which is you know taking so much from us but anyway the, the the thing about the internet is that everybody's so happy and shiny and everything's great and you know they're all taking ice baths and you know they have perfect uh, marriages and you know everybody's Bethany Hamilton you know everything's going great you know everything's bright and sunny when in fact that isn't true the, the the surfing desire the surfing stoke and what it takes at the beginning when you first get that spark and you're hit by lightning the lightning of surfing and you want it man desire sometimes is all you have and i think that mm. still very much exists even here in bali with young balinese kids that you know are trying to scrap up a board or wait for one to wash ashore like sonny garcia did at makaha so he could paddle out real quick and get Two waves before the big brada showed up and took it back you know i think this is still going on all around the world um I, I really do
0: yeah well sure and and like you said it's easy to not see that now given what you're kind of presented with non-stop and what people only present to you you know it's like that side of it is unworthy of a post or or the view and, um, well, I definitely appreciate it. And I, I want to be on the team of encouragers to have those kids and, and adults too, because they are, some of them are adults sure. keep getting out there and know that a lot of us, you know, didn't have, but you know, so the, the thing that I see a lot of is just, I remember a surfboard was so hard for me to get. Yep. It was like, I had to fight tooth and nail and I saved literally dollars to get sure. my first board. And I, I, what you were saying about, you know, just show like the stoke and checking it. It's also like the proof that you want it. Oh, yes. You got to show the world. You got to show yourself you want it. You know, you don't just take the easy way and check the camera and make an assumption based on that small window. You got to just prove it and be and part of the ritual, part of the unfolding of the day Mm. is is that whole process. And I think it's a beautiful part. And I want to I want to tell the listeners to go go find that post by the inertia. It was recent enough. Yep. That it won't be too buried, but I had I I rarely comment and contribute on Instagram, but that was one of the things yep. that stoked a, a, a rebuttal, a, a comment from me, sure. and I had an opinion on did Surfline steal the stoke? Yep. Uh, is something along the lines of because I use Surfline and I appreciate the information it gives, but the simplification of the surf report totally. Simplifies the the nuance and the beauty of knowing how to score when everybody else thinks there isn't
1: waves or good conditions. Well, the other thing, Chris, too, is one thing that's really big about surfing has certainly been huge in my life. Um, what is discovery? And as I, as I said, let's just say you're in Cocoa Beach, and you're 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 a you're a you're a eight year old nine year old Kelly Slater, and he had this crappy little skateboard, and he was telling me getting up in the morning, getting on the skateboard, putting that board under my arm before school and skating down. And It was discovery. I was on a surf trip, man. It was four blocks and I knew every crack in the sidewalk and I knew everything. He told me the whole thing about how it was, it was, as far as he was concerned, he was going to Neos. You know what I mean? And <laughs> it, it's that stoke. And I think some, even adult learners have this, have this stoke in them, which is why when people ask me advice about, learning as adult or even as a kid, my first thing I say is, uh, go build a board. You know, um, hmm. go, go to a factory, pay them whatever you have to pay them. It, it'll either hang around and see how a board is built, how difficult it is, what is the craftsmanship and do a little of it yourself or make your own board. I know it's a big mess, I know it's hard, but to know what these magic carpets, to know what they're worth and to know their emotional importance to us. These, these things that we give the word soul to our, you know, the magic board, the, the soul shaper, the soul and the magic you that's very, very real. Chris, it is a very real thing. This magic board and this soulful shaper and the, the soulful colors that you want to get, you know, that, that really match your personality and, and make you dig it. And I think, mm. I think that's really, really important uh, for, for surfers to know what these mad, what goes into these magic carpet rides. And you know, what's something that's so remarkable to me is beginner or, or, or complete professional. Every single surfer is as individual as a snowflake or a fingerprint. We're all completely individual. And that's why it feels like such an individual sport. And that's why surfers end up on the swim team and springboard divers and tennis players. They don't end up on the football team, you know, because of this Mm. individuality and, This individuality can be seen in every surfer's hands and in every surfer's posture. I know for a fact you can go down to your local beach and be looking right into the morning glare, and someone will take off. You go, oh, that's Jack. Or someone, oh, that's Bill. Of course. Oh, that's Ronnie. You know, because every, no two surfers have ever looked the same. The energy of these waves twists our kinetic energy when we match it with the energy of that wave and it it contorts our body into w- what our expression of this surfing is and even when you watch the WSL contests everybody looks completely different if you particularly if you look at the hands and so mm. there's something about that energy exchange that contorts our body into total individuality that makes learning at any age an extraordinary act
0: I really appreciate that take on it and and what i really want to come back to is how you very unorthodox but excellent advice i'd say is to you know the beginners to go build a board or at least experience or be in the same room sure. as a builder one being that my partner Evan is a builder, and so I have that appreciation, and he's given. me, It's such a blessing to to see that, like you said, mm. and to understand what goes into it and how complex and difficult it really is.
1: Oh yes, I, I mean it's a, that, it's a it's a combination of magic and sci-fi. You know, I yeah. mean, there's <laughs> there's hydrodynamics, aerodynamics, there's there's uh, chemistry, uh, there's there's art there's artistry, there's It's unbelievable what goes into these things. It ain't a tennis racket, man.
0: Right, right, right. But, you know, the word that you said that's really important to me was soul. And you know, it's just so funny you say it, it's it's like serendipitous, because the other day I was listening to music, and it's funny, my wife always complains about my music, in a, in a playful way, because she does appreciate it, but it's o- always very soulful, Motown era, like, you know, basically what we would call soul, and I was thinking to myself, what is soul? Like, what does it mean to have soul? And and you, you just, you kind of defined it right there with the board building, soul is hardship, soul is coming through, soul is produced, it's, it's a quality, it's a characteristic, but you don't get that from doing something that's easy. No, It comes from something that's hard. Yes. And that's what board building is. It's complex, it's hard, it takes practice. Mm. And so therein you find the soul yes. in the journey that that board builder has to go through, in the journey that the beginner surfer has to go through to get to be actually a put together surfer. That's what creates the soul surfer, the, the, the journey that's so freaking hard yep. to finally get to a place where you feel like you can look at the ocean, and foresee yourself riding waves and know how to do it. And, you know, the unseen things like the currents and tides affecting yes. how you're positioning, but also the physical wave that you can see with your eyes and right. And putting that all together, that's a, that's a long way off from when you begin. Well,
1: That's what's so beautiful. And there's, that's, there's this beautiful, moment. Sorry, go ahead. there's a beautiful, um, there's a beautiful moment. I think we're on the same wavelength. That's why you and I uh, interrupt each other now. And then I think it's a positive thing, but <laughs> here it's like, you know, you know, you've mastered a foreign language when you can make people laugh in that foreign language. It's the same Mm. way with surfing. You know that you're developing your soul when you can say, Oh oh, yeah. I remember that day. You remember that time that we remember when Ronnie and he took off. And as soon as you know, you get to the point where you can tell a surf story and surf stories are always Mm -hmm. told with our hands. Like, Surfers cannot tell stories sitting on their hands. Is that? That's <laughs> when you know you're developing soul. Is when you can say, "Yeah, I remember that day. I couldn't believe it." And so and so, you know, it's a it's a magic moment when you can do that because that's where you you develop your soul and you develop your groove. Um, and you know, I say I say this surfboard building thing. A, an interesting story. My my brother Sam and I and my father built our first surfboards, and we had to build. Yeah ourselves. I was, uh, eight, my brother was 11, I think. And, um, yeah. And we had to build our own boards and because we were at Pearl Harbor in, you know, we were a Navy family, we were at Pearl Harbor. We had steak, juice, resin we had, and we had two color choices, which were international buoy, red Navy, international buoy, red, and Navy international Celeste, you know, that, that sort of green buoy that you see. So those were turn- sure, yeah. so my brother Sam and I. Of course, I wanted red, you know, but he was my older.
0: I know where this story is so going. This is hilarious. He's my older brother,
1: <laughs> so he got red, and I had to get Celeste. And I'll tell you, those boards were dreadful, but by God, we made them ourselves. Mine, was, mine became known as the George Knob Tail, and mm. and I forget what my brother's was, but I'll tell you what, man, they had a lot of soul, a lot of pain in them, you know, a lot of. Yep. So I, I think it's really important for beginners to know about these, about these magic carpet rides and, Mm. you know, and, and, and reflecting earlier as well on the influence of, of, uh, of the internet about how little, how little soul we're getting. It's all visuals. It's all clips. It's all emojis. And, you know you'll see like this remarkable incident this remarkable wave ridden or something and all you'll get is sick dude unreal you know a, a, an emoji of fire. Yeah, fire hands up hands yeah. up and just like wow man i think that's mm. i think that's what can bring us to my book i think i think that'll help bring us to, to the book
0: i was thinking the very same thing yep <laughs> and and i want to interrupt you for a moment but when you reached out because i want i want you to go the route you're going but with this in mind the first thing you said to me was the last of its species before the AI takeover. Yes. So I just want you to continue down this track and I want to hear more about your thoughts on on that and and you know how you just kind of broke the conversation open with me using that yeah. those exact words actually. Yeah,
1: I believe I believe that there I believe that you know AI and 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 the the internet and these little emojis and all this kind of stuff are really robbing us a lot of the experience of surfing. Now, I don't think it's robbing anything of us when we're live and we're there at the beach and we're surfing and we're adventuring, even if you're certainly, certainly if you're a beginner, but it's when we reflect on it and what's happening, two things. One, there's no authority. You know, Surfer Magazine used to truly be the Bible of the sport. And we, we led the sport. We, we led the vibe. We, we were out there and, and, and we, we led the trip. And now everybody's their own, public relations, uh, their own public relations firm. And so our pro surfers are feeding us a load of bullshit and, and our, Mm. and, and even ourselves, we're just like doing selfies. Like here I am at the beach when there's so much more to reflect on. And so writing and reading about surfing is essential. Writing about it and thinking about it and putting together these emotions and these thoughts and these experiences. And I think with the with the book that I've collected here, it's a collection, you know, it's a collection of, you know, 35 years of my greatest published works. And a lot of them take Mm -hmm. place on the East Coast, by the way. And Mm -hmm. I I noticed that actually I've made it. I I think it's I don't think it should scare away young people, even though young people aren't reading because these are short magazine articles. You don't have to pick up the book and oh, my God, you know, I, I need to do a book report. And read it from beginning to end. You can just thumb through it and go, oh, wow, this one's on Kelly. This one's on Bell's
0: Beach. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I want to do this one right now. Yeah, right.
1: Like I say, it's a great bathroom book, you know, because you can just thumb through it. And it's it's also very, very good for beginning women surfers, particularly beginners of, of women. Because there are profiles and stories in here about remarkable female surfers i have always been a complete proponent of female surfing i've always believed in it and the stories that i have in here about these remarkable women i think serve to really inspire uh, beginning women because of what they're going up against Absolutely.
0: Um, one that particularly stood out to me was Lane's story. I, I didn't know the adversity she had <laughs> overcome. I didn't know her life story. And that's why I really love this book. And and one of my advices in my brand to, to surfers, if they want to get better, is to saturate yourself in surfing and not just the visuals, not just, as you said, read, soak it in all ways, get the history, take advantage of someone like you who's been in deep yeah. with all these people and and get this background that's so important you know it really when you care about something you don't just care about the thing you care about the people who do it the the and then that meat traces you back to their life story and then what about their influences who do they get influenced by now you have a whole other person to to investigate and look into and it takes you down this path that i mean you could Look at look at someone like you. Look at Matt Warshaw. It's a, a career yes. for you. You know the the people who do it and the lives behind it. And that's what I really loved about this book was not so much the surfing stories. I mean, yes, I love them, but actually the stories of the people. Yes. You know, like you had these incredible a- encounters, Kelly Slater when he's a Grom. You went to school with yeah. him, right? I went to I mean, high school. That one story. I, I was, went to
1: high school. I though. was like, what? <laughs> and, and, and
0: I'm imagining you standing in high school classroom with these guys. I mean, you kind of paint the picture a little bit and it's pretty hilarious funny
1: and, and i i'm also I, I i also say at the time I, I was the only guy in the pro tour that had ever slept with kelly um <laughs> you remember you remember when i showed up I, I tell you something that's really special about kelly slater and the east coast should be very very proud of this so many new surfers think he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and he was so he had all this support and he had that is not true I showed up, he was 17, his mother was a single mother. They were in a house full of a bunch of cardboard boxes. They were sleeping on a mattress on the floor. His blanket was a moving blanket that the movers left behind for him. Um, it was a struggle. And this, this, this single mother and those brothers, it was a struggle every day. And he just happened to be remarkably talented. But I'll tell you what, that talent would have meant nothing had he not had a mother a single mother who had three jobs fireman bartender and something else and would drive him to these contests and let him surf and she saw what was happening and the brothers supported him and so when i say i'm the only guy that slept with kelly is i grew up in a in a in a house with four brothers in one room very humble background and so when i showed up and and you know mrs slater just said oh well, you'll be bunking with kelly and i'm like that's all right i've slept with my brothers before and so I slept under mm-hmm. that moving blanket on that mattress on the floor with Kelly Slater at, at when he was 17 years old. And it was funny, that story that starts with those, those words, he sleeps like an angel. Um, I told the story of me looking to my left, lying on that floor, and there he was sleeping like an angel. And that's where I start my story. Well, when it got back to Surfer Magazine, they were so terrified of me being in bed with Kelly, that they changed it. (laughs) They changed the published words, not the one, not the true story that's in my book, but they changed it to where I was hanging out in his doorway, looking at him sleep. And when,
0: that's even worse. Uh, so bad.
1: Okay, listen, so bad. So I'm at Surfer Magazine and Matt, Matt, Judy Slater on line four. Okay, click. I pick it up. She just starts tearing in. Beneath. If I would have known you were creeping around my house at night, I'm like, Judy, please, please, you know, you got to listen to me. I swear to God, you know, and it's like, it took me a long time to calm her down and go, no, no, it, it didn't happen that way. So that was a lot of fun. But Kelly and I've had a lot of fun with that. As you know, people have really poked a lot of fun at it at that moment. And he sleeps like an angel and all that. And uh, we've had a lot of fun with that. But I think that a lot about this book is not a history book, as you say, it's an examination of personalities. And even if there's older surfers, everyone from I've got everyone from Greg Knoll up to, you know, John, John Florence, you know, it's like everybody's in there. Uh, And and it's so important, as you said, to know what makes a surfer tick. Particularly surfers that influence that that we buy their products, we want to we wear our hair like them, we order our ghost surfboards like because they ride them. We do all this. We deserve to know who these people are, rather than just their PR Instagram things where everything's just bright and shiny and it's it's the most wonderful world and you know it feels like you know Disneyland music is playing in the background. We deserve to know who these people are, and so this this I believe or I hope, that there's going to be a backlash and people are going to want to start reading again and they're going to want to start learning and getting deeper into surfing. Um, and that's what, that's what I believe this book is really about. It's not a history book. It's not a rerun of old stories that we've all heard before. It's not that. It is a, it is a collection of 35 years of the best published works I've had and it is a zeitgeist that goes from the eighties to 2023. And here's something that, that, that East coasters should be very, very proud of. Kelly Slater weaves his way through this whole book. And that is why Mm. he called me and said, Matt, I I've got to write the, I've got to write the forward to this thing. And I'm like, please do Kelly, please. And he said, I'd love to, because when you think about it from say, 19, you know, 80, whatever late 80s 88 or something up to 2023 has been the kelly slater era all the way up to when he won the pipeline masters at 50 years old so it it, it, it this book just captures this in this era where there were incredible advances in technology surfboard design the momentum crew um backside surfing Uh, It uh, just goes on and on and on. It it was the most electrifying. This modern era was the most electrifying era in surfing's history. And here it is in a book, in a series of stories. And if it sounds like I'm trying to sell you insurance, I'm sorry. But I got to tell you, I'm not doing this for money. I really am not. I needed to get this down and in as the last of its species before this whole AI and, 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 and you know our whole internet world completely took away the oral tradition that we have of surfing storytellers, Chris. I mean, surfers are such mm-hmm. good storytellers. Even, I, I, I was listening to a 12 uh, year old kid the other day and he was telling me about his day at, at, um, he was telling me about his day at Desert Point. And he was using his hands and he was jumping up and down. I'm going, yes, man, yes. Tell me more. You know, it was it, it's electrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I just hope that that in the future there may be a backlash so that the modern era that we are now living basically post Kelly. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm hoping that someone somewhere is getting this down. I, I can
0: definitely appreciate that because it means a lot to me. And I feel like someone who's sort of straddled the eras, you know, and I feel almost like a, a responsibility that I have a foot in that previous era to take the next step and carry that with me, you know, and that's kind of the idea behind CookCast. And you're the first guest I've had in quite a while. Um, and just because of life events, it's been easier to just do these back and forth with my partner and rather than coordinate with a guest. But the truth is, You know, I've spoken to some really great and respectable and and just people we admire as surfers, you know, for guests on the show. And that was always kind of in my head. Like, because the podcast is free. I don't do this for money either. Sure, it helps me as a coach and my reputation and brand. But directly, I do this because I want to put it in the canon. I want to have a piece. I want to be among you and Matt Warshaw, who contributed to putting something down that's real, like hearing straight from. The horse's mouth right and these people are still around to talk about it before ai is going to talk for them you know? yeah and um no, yeah I, no i just really appreciate that because i do value it and i want to be a part of one of the people who encourages others to value this and to remind them like hey it's not just about the greatest last clip or did somebody see your wave mm. but you know the 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 depth of surfing and to experience that and to and to you know, to be able to love your day as much if nobody saw your whole session that was your
1: best of the year. You know? Yes. And also this adventure, you know, exploring, like I said, whether you're a kid on a skateboard or going to the end of the street, or maybe you're going up to Hatteras, or you're, or you're, you know, you're going to go hit New Jersey, or you're going to go down into the Caribbean, or you're going to go to Costa Rica, or whatever it is, you know, for the East coasters that have the entire Caribbean wired, you know, it's like that, that is a, the, the adventure of surfing. And there's a thing about surfing travel that's so important with surfing is because we have a goal. We're going there to do something. We're not going there to, to go to Margaritaville and, 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 you know, drink margaritas. We're not doing that. We're going there with a purpose and, and we're going there to experience and immerse ourselves in this. And this is why surfers are such great travelers and why we're so good with different cultures and why we rarely go, and why we rarely go to war. Because we know different cultures, we've been in different countries, we've looked into different people's eyes, and we've seen all this. And we we basically are able to ask the world, can't you just get along with each other? You know, like I don't understand <laughs> this at all. You know, I've been to I've been to you know uh, I've surfed Jamaica, I was in the Dominican Republic, I've been down to here and there and all these places in the Caribbean. I got along with everybody. You know what what's going on over in Europe? You know, can't you guys just go yeah. surfing? You know and so yeah. I just really believe in, in, in that spirit of surfing as an adventure and a brotherhood. Anywhere you go in the world, anywhere you go, you're going to find surfers. You're going to find surfers. I, I was in Pakistan and there were surfers. You know, It's like mm. you're going to find them. We belong to a, a global tribe. It is a proud tribe. It is a, it is a tribe of goodwill and, and adventure. And I I just encourage any of your young listeners out there to keep pushing, keep adventuring, keep going on trips, keep dreaming about it, keep doing these things. You know, um, I think it was pretty incredible in, in the Kelly Slater feature that I did when he was 17 years old, when I asked him, what are you gonna do if you make a lot of money? And he said, I don't know, build a wave pool, build a wave pool for me and my friends and mm-hmm. look at that dream the east coast the yep. east coast dream of having waves all the time right this guy this kelly slater guy right made it happen the greatest mm-hmm. the most perfect shaped wave in the world the most dependable perfectly shaped wave in the world he made this happen and he erased all crowds and localism because you take your turn it is a dream mm-hmm. what he did. And that is an East Coast dream. And the, every East Coaster out there should tip his hat when Kelly Slater walks by.
0: Yep, absolutely. And I—that that is 100% one of my notes I marked down when I read that part. 17 years old, foreshadowing to the wave pool. I was like, wow, that is just incredible right there. He said it how many years ago? 30, you know, yep. that he was going to do that. Or, you know, that it was stewing already in the back of his mind then. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then to your point about, I, you know, I always I, I just agree so much in, in terms of travel, why surfers are so enlightened and able to get along so well, because tr- I, I've said for a long time, I truly believe traveling is one of the best forms of education. You know, just travel, see other people live, how they conduct business, how they do their, how they run government, how do they interact in the street? What are their, you know, you in you places um, of the world like where you are, flashing the lights and honking a horn is a courtesy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, hey, I'm coming. Exactly. Over here, you do that and it's like, "Ah, fuck yeah, you." Yeah, someone's going to shoot blah, you, you or know. something. Yeah. yeah, exactly, but it's just it's a funny thing to like just open your mind a little like, "Oh, this is not like angry people driving. This is just a way of being like, "Hey, I'm I'm in a rush. I'm coming around yeah. you. Flash 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 honk 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 here I come," yeah. you know? Um, just as an example. But you so something I wanted to ask you as I was reading the book, um You know, the story of like Kiala and how you kind of outed her, you say, and Harbor Bill, um, another one that kind of you claim responsibility for kind of being their end, well, end quote unquote. But I started to wonder, okay, so as you develop this reputation for somebody who potentially outs them Uh or basically goes very deep into their life and looks closely, did you start to meet some resistance from... You know people or you know jobs that you were given by the magazine to go interview this person or that person did you ever start finding that the your subjects were a little bit more guarded and withheld
1: well i'm asked this a lot and the answer is absolutely not and it's it's an interesting answer isn't it because yeah here's here's how this worked my rule when i got an assignment was i would not do a profile on anyone unless i got to live with them for a minimum of five days. I mean, I've slept on uh, on the floor at the on uh, at the foot of you know Rob Machado's bed. I've slept I've slept on the floor of Shane Haran's commune. I, I Kiala had a spare bedroom. I slept there. You know. I mean, it is. I I I need to know who these people are. I do not meet them in a cafe and turn on a microphone. I need to do mm-hmm. this. Now about the evils of of saying too much. Um, it, the two incidences that you measured, um, are true and how it worked in the end was it made their lives better. Um, and I'm saying that not from my point of view, Keala came to me, many, Keala was very angry with me for a long time, but she came to me later and goes, you know what, Matt, in the end, you know, it, it was time and I have a much better relationship with my family now. And, you know, we, we shook hands and kissed on the cheek, and thank you, Kia Thank you, um, Harbor Bill. This had him, drew him closer to his son Josh. Eventually, even though I think Harbor Bill, if he had a gun, he'd still shoot me. But the thing is, um, I I was not. I am not uh, out to do a hatchet job. I'm not out to hurt or maim or or you know be snarky. I'm not beach grit. You know, I was never that, you know, stab, stabbing people in the heart all the time. And I've never done that. But I do believe in telling the truth and telling <clears throat> telling it the way I saw it. Um, if you read that Shane Haran article, it, it is almost brutal. It is almost brutally honest. And in the end, he mm. came to me. Thank you, Matt. You know, at first I was dizzy when I read that. But when I finally got through it, I thank you so much. Oscar Wright, you know having to deal with the suicide of his father. He goes, no one's ever written about that, Matt. And you put it out there, and it's, it's made me a better person. So, look, I'm not trying to tell you I'm Hercules or anything, but I will say this. I have actually been welcomed more because I've not been, uh, a, a, you know, the marshmallow man, you know. I'm, not, mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. not a PR guy. They know that it will be memorable, and it will be real, and it will be truthful. And so we both have the courage to do that. We come along and we both have, this is going to take courage on both our parts. And they know that. And that's where they would accept me into this because they knew it was going to be important, Chris.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that just speaks, you know, volumes to you as a, a journalist, a writer, you know, that people... But saw it that way because that was for sure one of my questions, and I don't—I I didn't know that that was asked of you before because I actually deliberately make an effort not to do too much research, and you know I don't want to hear your other interviews. Sure. I want it to have its own organic spin. So forgive me if that's an overlapping question, but
1: um, oh no, not at all. I'm just saying yeah. I'm in—in in my life, not on podcasts oh, or anything. No, life, I'm just yeah. saying in my life, people go, "Jesus, Matt, doesn't anyone want to like punch you in the mouth?" And I'm like, "Yeah, they do, <laughs> but they don't," you know, because we come together, you know, it's, that's how it is. I've, uh, I've never been called an asshole in my life.
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's great. And, um, so, okay. Now I, I, I want to take a slight little merge onto a different tact right now. You know, I always consider how I'm going to start an episode. That for me is always the hardest part because you know, getting initiating a conversation from nothing, especially with someone like you I've never met before and only exchanged emails, to this organic, free flowing conversation is always the tricky one. So I'm always ready with my own vulnerable story to kind of kick it off if I sense there's a little rough starting. And for me, that actually is connected to what for you might be a little more cringy. I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, but In God's Hands. Sure. That was released in 97. And that was the time 98. Oh, forgive me. Um, so 98. So I was 11 years old. Mm. Okay. And again, this is, there's, oh, I guess the internet is a thing, but I remember, uh, and going back to Kelly Slater being at someone's house and just typing in Kelly Slater into the internet and just, to see pictures of surfing, yep. you know, trying so desperately to get content. Anyway, you know, the only resources I had to get content was the library and movie theaters sure you know there was really there was i didn't know how not at 11 years old how to seek out a book a video a something how do i see more surfing how do i get more of this so 11 years old in god's hands comes out and you know how hollywood knows how to just make it so dramatic and just man i was a sucker for it when that came out or i saw the previews i was like oh i gotta see Mm -hmm. this you know, Shane Doran, I didn't know who you were at the time, but this guy, and you know what really stood out to me? A lot of things, of course, the training, but there's a a line that you say, you were like, I'm going to paddle into one of those monsters with my bare fucking hands. And that has stuck with me, in a in a very subconscious way until you reached out and I started looking into some of the work and reading the book and realizing like, wait a minute, this is that guy and that this is the character in, in God's hands that I remember being like jaw open, eyes wide yeah. watching you and being such admi- and being like, that's the kind of surfer I want to be like kind of ballsy, kind of like aggro, like, no, don't tow me in. I'm going to paddle yeah. in, you know, like, yeah, I'll get maybe one or two waves instead of your 10 or 20, but I'm going to do it with my bare fucking yeah. hands. And it just was so impactful to me, you know, and it, it, believe it or not, Shane Doran had a big impact on me too, because he was the opposite. Very calm, cool. uh, Let's take it as it comes still aggressive, but a different approach. And both of those two personalities as characters in the movie in a Hollywood production about surfing Mm. really struck me. And it was an important time. You know, in my life, because I was looking for any surf content possible. So for me, like, I, I, I didn't want to speak for you, but I felt like maybe In God's Hands is more on the cringe side for you of your life's work. But for me, it was like an important little stepping stone that, you know, just kept me going a little longer with something to hold on to.
1: Well, I, um, I'll tell you right away that I am filled with pride of what we did with In God's Hands. It is, I have never, oh, it wonderful. has never made me cringe, ever. Hmm. Has it angered me? Sure. I wrote the script. Um, I'm actually writing a book right now about the hole in God's hand story because it's absolutely hilarious. It is a hilarious story that, that behind the scenes. And I could tell you hmm. so many of these funny things that happen. But I'll tell you why I'm proud of it. My friends, Shane Dorian, Maddie Liu and I and the whole Maui crew and the great Brian K. Lana, and all these guys, we made a movie we made a Hollywood movie and here's how we made it. When they came to me and said, Matt, you got to write this thing. I said, you bet. And when they, when they said, what, what can we, what's the best thing we can do? And I said, forget about good acting, forget about it. I said, (laughs) what we need, I said, what we need is great surfing. So get a director that can make us act good enough because there's a lot of bad acting out there, right. In memorable movies, but we need the surfing to be sincere. And we would do a scene like when when we were at Piahi, when we were at Jaws, and it's just thundering out there. And we'd do a scene, and then 20 minutes later, we're out in the lineup, just going, "Holy shit!" You know. And and it was Shane Dorian's first time out there in those giant waves, and certainly mine. And um and 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 of course, Maddie Liu, who was to him, it was easy. But anyway, what mm-hmm. I'm trying to tell you is, I am filled with pride about that movie because of what we, what we surfers achieved with the sincerity. Yes, Hollywood destroyed my script. Yes, of course. My script was originally based on Homer's Odyssey. Um, I just followed Homer's Odyssey, the, the, the hero's voyage, the hero's journey, the whole thing. And they just screwed it all up. And that's oh, fine. Wow. That didn't matter. If you oh, okay. watch that movie again and you just, I don't know, fast forward past the boring parts, everything is absolutely fantastic. And the, and, and, and the acting is fun. And we were into it. And the Bali sequences. And... That hilarious boxing scene that i can just tell you very quickly it was down at Jimbaran bay here and it's based on a true story about what happened to me where i had to box for money but anyway listen so here we are and we're down there and we've set up this thing right on the beach this little like arena and the local people that we asked to come in through the language barrier they thought that these two white guys were going to really fight they thought we were mad at each other over a woman and that we're going to beat the shit out of each other. So we thought maybe, you know, 10 to 20 people that we hired, you know, extras, you know, and, and use the camera angles to make it look like a lot of people, 500 people showed up and started betting on us. Oh, my goodness. Okay, for real. And it got <laughs> bad. And it got bad. And then when I when I started to cheat with the, when I got the red pepper and rubbed it in his eyes, my God, there was a riot. And I had to be, I, I had to be escorted by security to the parking lot and taken away. They were going to tear me apart. You cheater, you cheater. You know, I mean, all these hilarious stories happen and it was really wild, you know. And I'll tell you tell you one more thing I'm really proud of. There's a lot of very, um, there's a lot of prescient lines in that movie. There's a lot of really beautiful surfing lines, you know, especially the ones that Shane speaks. There's some really beautiful stuff. Mm. And one of the things that was really Really beautiful that day at, that day at Jaws is is that we in that movie, Mickey, who, who loses his life in, in, in that in that big day, predicts that the Shane Dorian character is going to someday paddle into these waves by hand. He says, it can be done, you know. you could do it because he was the better surfer. Shane Dorian was the better or the character Shane was the better surfer. And the Mickey character actually mm-hmm. says, you could paddle into these waves, you could do it. And look what happened in reality. Shane put the jet skis away. Mm-hmm. He put the jet skis away and he became the most famous in surfer champion, gnarly guy in the world. He became Mickey. And so there's a lot of things in that movie to be really proud of. And I suggest that any beginners out there And anyone that's new to it, and you young people, get your hands on that movie. I'm sure it's on somewhere or whatever. I think it's on Amazon or whatever. But get it and watch it. And if there's some scenes that are just, you know, some of the acting scenes that we're doing are boring you, just fast forward it till you find something you like. Because there is a Mm -hmm. lot, there is a lot in there that is sincere and true. And we did all our own surfing in that thing. Remarkable.
0: Mm hmm. I think that's really i'm glad you're able to separate the part that hollywood kind of tainted and and the part that you guys are proud of what you did um, and that's really fun. I can just imagine, you know, my group of friends and also looking at each other and be like, we, we just made a Hollywood movie. Yeah, the acting sucked, but we surfed. We did exactly. it. <laughs> you we know, were... we got these guys to come out with their cameras and film us surfing. We're... <laughs> I,
1: I, I'll tell you another funny story. Just one more quick one about In God's Hands that I love to tell. There's a hundred of them. I'm writing a book about it, you know, behind the scenes of In God's Hands. Mm-hmm. And I think that it would interest not only surfers, but every way, everybody, just the way it all went crazy. But we're at Honolulu Bay, right? And we needed surfing footage. And it was perfect. It was perfect, Honolulu Bay. And we're sitting there in Maui just going, how are we going to do this? And Matty Liu, who was was just a – he was basically the guy that put the whole movie together. And not many people know that he's a five-time Hawaiian champion, a great surfer, a big wave charger. Anyway, Matty shows up and goes, I can get those guys out of the water. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I get them out of the water easy. He goes, give me some money. Give me some money. Right? So – the production company gave me some money. I'll be right back. He goes and gets Victor Lopez, right? Victor Lopez, Jerry's brother, who's a real controller on the Maui, Maui, right? He comes back to Victor. Now, I'm not trying to bust anyone or be a narc. And certainly it wasn't Victor and it wasn't Maddie. It wasn't that at all. But what happened was all of a sudden there was a truck that pulled up with all the weed that you could possibly smoke, okay? All the Maui Wowie that anyone could possibly want. And a certain person, to remain unnamed, paddles out in the lineup and goes, hey, fellas, <laughs> if you can give us two hours, there's a truck up there, and you can grab it by the handful, okay? And bingo, the whole lineup emptied. And Shane Dorian, Matt George, and Matty Liu got to surf perfect Honolulu Bay empty for five hours because everyone got so high. They didn't, (laughs) they didn't paddle back out. And there's a photo. One of my, one of my favorite photographs is as the sun was going down, it's Honolulu Bay and it's us three out in the water waiting for our last waves. And I showed it to Billy Hamilton, the great Billy Hamilton. he goes, where's this? And I I go, it's Honolulu Bay. He goes, no. Did you Photoshop this or something? I'm like, no, man, yeah. it was just us. And I get such a kick out of that. Oh God. But, uh, yeah, I'm not here to be a narc or anything then, but that that's
0: no, no. And I don't want you to be, but that's hilarious. And I, I really was hoping to get those little backstories out of you, things like that. It's, it's so fun to hear that behind the scenes. Um, it it just reminds me. So I, I surf in a place you know where fish. It's basically a fishing town. It's only maybe just recently starting to become a little bit of a surfing town, because um, we get great surf. But the fishing is unbelievable. But it's always kind of there's we're doing pretty damn good about coexisting. But every once in a while there's a thing you know, and so there's a snarky comment about like oh you're trying to catch me. And I just always think about you know how we say like listen if you're trying to catch us you got to put a joint on the hook yeah not exactly you know like that's how you get exactly. us
1: exactly <laughs> exactly it was um, such a- but
0: there is one more thing I want to ask you about in God's hands because I can't when it comes to the safety factor I I'm very curious but there's a part where you say Dave Kalama was worried we were going to get ourselves killed and he was probably right like we might have uh, or something along those yep. lines I, and I don't remember detail what exactly was he concerned about was it just like all this you know, like maybe the focus was so high on making, getting the shot well, that he was afraid people would start losing sight of that. This is still a very dangerous thing to do. Or, well,
1: first of all, is there
0: uh, more detail to it, or as simple as first that? First of
1: all, the surf was enormous mm-hmm. and it was one of the biggest days ever that, that we did that footage and and we did all those wipeouts and we did all that at jaws that those two days, and Brian Kelana and 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 uh, Dave Kalama are very very safety minded and these guys had it all wired and all of a sudden we've got we got a hollywood cameraman out there in boats and stuff that can't even swim and you got to remember right. you got to remember there were no vests back then there were no vests there were board shorts okay there was no real big um, rescue techniques it was it was buddy you'd you'd go in on a jet ski and remember these jet skis back then had bicycle handlebars on them these were not brand new Bombardier, you know, are you kidding? These things were pieces of crap that you'd use at Lake Havasu, all right? And they were mm-hmm. out there pushing water and, you know, these things, it was not safe. And and the Maui crew, the strap crew and Brian Kalan and these guys, they, they had it pretty wired, but it wasn't perfect like it is now where you've got dedicated mm. teams and, and, and everything happening and you can pull your vest and all this. No, it was naked, naked, raw surfing. And this one wave came in, this one ungodly wave came in and Brian Kalana and Dave Kalama and the Hawaiians in particular, they all just looked at each other and it was total silence, even though we were out on boats and jet skis. And they just looked at each other and just said, I I don't think this is a good idea. Not with these guys, especially with a guy like me. You know, I'm not some big wave charger. You know, I was, I had skills, but you know (laughs) Jesus. Maddie and Shane could handle it and, and but it was it was deadly. Deadly. And we decided to move forward with it. And and they kept us safe. Those guys kept us safe. And and I'll be forever thankful for it. Mm. That's for sure. Wow, yeah. That that um But yeah, they were really they were very much worried. They were very worried that was the day that Todd Chesser died on the north shore it was so big he paddled out at i believe alligators and he passed away and we didn't hear that news until we got back to shore thanking our lucky stars that we didn't all drown and that's when we heard the news about todd chester and that we knew just how serious that swell was and um to lighten this conversation up a little bit when we were back in hollywood and i was one of the executive producers i was b- back there and we're showing them the footage of this day, and they were going, "Wow, <clears throat> that's really wow. That's surfing things really wild." What special effects did you use? What program did you use to make those waves look so darn big? You know, and I, you know, <laughs> Come on! Swear to God! And I just went, "Wow, man!" I had to. Oh, I geez. had to explain to them it was that big, and they got really angry. They go, "Does our insurance company know about this?" You know the whole thing. They got really pissed off that we did that they were they were even mm. thinking about reshooting it in, in like at trestles you know so that we you know they wouldn't get sued if we encouraged people yeah. to go out and it right. was 60 foot surf you know it was like jesus yeah. christ yeah. <laughs> isn't that fun <sighs> isn't that fun yeah that that is hilarious but i
0: mean it had to be bait you know for the story yeah. and as you know you couldn't shoot it at tre- that would have been ridiculous to every surfer just like you said how important it was to to have the authentic genuine surfing it would have been disingenuous at trestles cuz that's every surfer would know like that's not the feat that the story was after yeah. you know so but that's of course there's other things to consider when it's not truly a surf journey it's it's a movie that you're making and there's liabilities involved and you yeah. know people who don't want to get sued and it was a real it was um, a
1: real you know chris it was a real genesis um, of, of, to- of the whole toe and surfing scene, because even though these guys, the experts, the Laird have the, the great Laird Hamilton and, and, and Dave Kalama and all these great men that, 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 you know, completely pioneered that pioneered the whole thing, even though they had it all wired and all that, um, <clears throat> this was the beginning of thinking about safety rescues, teams, uh, how are we going to do this? How are we going to push this into the next level? How are we going to coexist with the paddling guys? surfboard design. This was all new. The board I was on was actually a 13-foot red gun made for Brock Little. I borrowed it from Brock Mm -hmm. because it looked really good for the movie. And it was made for paddling into outer uh, reef stuff on the North Shore. And it had never even been ridden yet and they didn't they, you know they were make, they were trying to figure out how do we ride these giant waves do we need these giant boards and these tow in guys got it figured out to where they could surf these things on on 6 foot boards you know they, they they you don't all you need to do is catch the thing and you can ride it right. you know it's about catching right. it and so it was this transition from these giant guns that they were trying to use and it was truly truly a quantum leap in surfing. And to this day, I mean, it's like wooden boards to fiberglass or long boards to short boards, Um, you know, big wave surfing to toe in surfing. I mean, it was it was so remarkable and exciting to be around that. And you'll you'll find some of these stories in the book. There it is. Great. I'm
0: looking forward to that book as well. Um, So I wanna. I don't want to keep you too long, Matt. But I do. I'd love to hear. I I asked you to prep a kooky story because you got tons of stories, and I'm especially interested to hear. You know, you tell your kooky story if you have one for me. Mm -hmm. But like I said in the email, and I just like to remind the listeners too that this is the reason I do this. The reason of Koopcast in existence at all is to remember the beginning, the humility, the 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 journey that you went through to get where you are now where you probably hardly ever kook it yeah you know whereas people feel so seen so magnified in their behavior and and not that i'm encouraging people to just do whatever and there isn't an etiquette and rules and and codes of conduct in surfing however mistakes are made and and it's always fun when you hear one from uh you know pt or reno or whatever these guys when they have a kooky story it's like oh wow these style masters these Guys that we just look up to, and every photo is beautiful of them.
1: They've cooked it, also. Without question, and mine's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Okay, so uh, do you remember a great East Coast surfer that moved to the to the West Coast named Greg Mungle? Do you do you remember that name? Okay. Anyway, Greg. I don't know that name. Greg no. was a, he was a tremendous surfer. Still is. Okay. He's over here on the West Coast. So, I. Okay. We're at the Bells Beach contest, okay? Let me tell it this way. Okay. 1981, Bells Beach was 20 foot. okay? It was the day that it was the day that um, Simon Anderson walked down for his heat with his towel over the back of his board and right before he paddled out, he took the towel off and we're going, three fins. Has he gone uh-huh. crazy? That was the first time we saw it. So anyway, it's 20 foot. It's famous. Bells Beach, 1981. Come on. It's famous. Okay. Now, I'm on a 5'10 twin fin. That's what I have as a pro surfer. Okay. uh, Incredible. Okay. Uh, My heat comes up. Okay. I am literally urinating in my pants at this point. Just going, I do not. This is stupid. I don't. Okay. So. And this, this actually was the day before the the giant day. It was like 15 foot. Okay. So anyway, I paddle out and I'm like, if I can just sit here for 35 minutes without catching a wave, maybe no one will notice, you know, okay. I'm on my little five. Maybe no one will notice. This will be great. You know? So I'm out in the heat with like, I don't know, Mark Price and somebody else. I think it was Richard Cram or something. And we're out there and I'm like, oh, this is great. And I'm just I'm just going over these giant waves thinking about how am I going to get in and how happy I'm going to be when that heat horn blows. So 30 minutes go by and we hear over the microphone, uh, competitors, competitors, uh, due to a lack of waves ridden, we're extending this heat another 35 minutes. <laughs> so I'm like, what? I want to go in. You know, I want to get out of here <laughs> floating around on my little 510. And I'll tell you what. I paddled over in between sets and took off in what people would consider a shoulder. And to me, it was a 200-foot wave on my little 510. <laughs> and I, my, the whole thing just hydroplaned and lifted up. I don't even know what happened. It completely lifted up. And the people, when I finally washed up on the shore, like, like some sort of penguin that escaped a, a, an orca, okay, <laughs> when I rolled up on shore, they told me I didn't wipe out. I exploded in front of everybody. And I, I was just so happy to be on shore. And I I think that began the death knell of my, of my, my, my great professional surfing.
0: (laughs) That's great. And that's a classic story. Everybody's got one of those, you know, getting yourself in over your head, being out there and looking back at the beach, like, Oh God, how am I getting in if I'm not willing to ride one of these waves?
1: Exactly. And it was, it was absolutely, it was hilarious. It was huge. That morning, the morning, people were writing messages to their mother, if I don't make it, you know, I mean, it was a great, glorious day. Just, I'm sure it's on, um, I'm sure it's on YouTube or whatever. Just look up 1981 Bells Beach and uh, you'll you'll see, you'll see something pretty special. It was wild.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm definitely going to try and find it. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coordinating with me on this. I really had a, a, a just a, it was an honor to, to be able to hear straight from you. And like I said, I really have a high value and, and care for, you know, put, being a part of you right. know, the recording, you know, recording these things before it starts getting weird. And, you know, we're just listening to computers talk about what they've compiled from
1: scratching yes. the Internet. Well, I understand it's this organic nature of surfing and these organic stories that happen every day I mean surfers they have a story about every time they go to the beach it's a story you know and we're storytellers and to keep this legacy going Chris you know through through podcasts or books or Or just talking to each other and and having a good time at a party and sinking a beer and going, all right, man, 10 foot and there I was, you know, like this, this is, this is us. It's our tribe. We are storytellers. And I, I would just like to encourage all the, 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 the new surfers out there to be proud to tell these stories and to not be afraid and to not just fall into the morass of emoticons and one-word responses, and I would just really encourage them to really explore their feelings, because surfing is not silly, and it is not a pastime. It is a passion, and passion comes in waves.